Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to episode 175 of the Dawson D Show, and once again, we're in for a treat today. Our guest today is a head trainer at one of the biggest and best horse racing stables in the country and comes from royalty in the sport. He's also a former AFL player representing the Western Bulldogs in Carlton and fresh off a huge spring carnival. And to tell us all about it, ladies and gentlemen, it's Will Hayes. Now, this is a great episode to give you a new perspective into the sport of horse racing that goes beyond the glitz and glamour we are used to seeing as an average punter. Will shares with us his fascinating life in the stables, from the daily routine to the unbelievable planning and execution that goes into every single race. You'll be blown away what the team has to do in preparation day in and day out. We find out what makes Mr. Brightside such a champion horse and the relationship Will has to have with owners and jockeys and all the insights on owning horses. Plus, Will opens up and shares his views on controversial topics like animal cruelty in horse racing and race fixing. Whether you love horse racing or have no interest at all, there is so much to glean from this episode, we know you're going to absolutely love it. Now remember to follow the podcast so you never miss an episode, leave a review if you're feeling generous, and subscribe to our YouTube channel where this whole episode is available. All right, saddle up. Let's hand it over to the legend himself. Here he is, Will Hayes. Well, Spring Carnival's just finished, D. Oh, yes. And we've got uh, a man that knows the Spring Carnival very, very, very well. Will Hayes, welcome to the Dawson D Show, mate. Thanks for having me. How did it turn out for you in the end, the Spring Carnival? It was uh, a lot of things happened it seemed a lot of trainers got up a lot of jockeys got up I, I was hearing on the radio the other day they were going through the trainers that won group ones over the spring carnival and it was very very like spread out there was a lot of people that won how was it for your stable yeah it was a super even, even spread over the spring and obviously it's a, our busiest time of year it's when the industry is on show so it's it's likened to our grand final time but we had a terrific spring. Um, we had a lot of horses run well. We had two horses narrowly beaten in group ones. We had Mr. Brightside beaten by a centimetre in the um, Cox Plate. And I'm sorry, but I'll, that, that's 20 seconds and we've already mentioned Mr. Brightside. <laughs> yeah, yeah. See, that was quick. <laughs> that, that, that was long. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then we also had Apulia come second by an inch in the derby. So yeah. we, it, we quickly flipped our perspective and we we're just thankful that we we're in the photos. But when you're so close to those Group 1 glories, that really would have been two, well, pinnacles of racing. We nearly had them as a stable. So fire's still in the belly and we'll go again and um, we'll, we'll be recharged for the autumn. But it was a great spring, very tiring, but um, the show keeps rolling on all year round. Do you sit down at the start of the year and you like, obviously, I'm sure you're a goal setter yourself personally. You've, you've achieved lots of things, especially, you know, career-wise in sport. But as a group, you guys... Do you set goals like we, we, we want to win this group one or that group one? Or is there certain um, targets you guys set aside each year and go, this is where we want to be? Yeah, uh, well, like us brothers and our team around us, we'll sit down and we'll work out for the horse that we have in our stable. And we'll just say like for Mr. Brightside, we had a plan to get him to the Cox Plate and we worked back from there. And we do that with all our horses. We try to get them to reach their potential. And so we sit down and say, what's their potential? And like we, we think this horse, like Ursa, for example, didn't go to plan, but we thought she was a thousand guineas horse. So we're like, okay, let's try to get her to that race and what, what requirements does she need to do? So you need to, you work backwards from there. So that's something my twin brother, JD, is very good at. He's very good at formalising when where horses have to be in their prep and when for us to be able to achieve that. So Because he could imagine that as trainers we're we're not only the head coaches we're also the um uh sports scientists as well yeah yeah. everything yeah everything and our athletes can't talk back to us which is good (laughs) because they can't complain (laughs) we're gonna talk a lot more about inside the stable and inside the broader sport of racing but you obviously come from a very famous family in, in in racing what is your role can you explain to us your role within the stable uh yeah so my role within the stable is the title i have is head trainer with my brothers and pretty much what i do is um uh, we all set a program of how we want our horses to get through the week sort of thing. And I help the staff run that and run it and make sure every basics are done b- brilliantly. So at the minute, due to staffing shortages and whatnot, I actually have to ride myself. So I've gone from being a footballer to a plus size jockey. Um, so that's been great. <laughs> what was your playing weight, by the way? Uh, 78 kilos. And what do you... Yeah, what do you uh, a bit personal. Eight, <laughs> 78 <laughs> to 82. Yeah, 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 I've actually I've maintained. So oh, good. Yeah. I was lucky that... Wondered if you had to drop some to... Well, yeah, but <laughs> I like to say muscle weighs three times more than fat. So it's very hard to lose muscle. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, but no, my, my weight's actually stayed consistent. But yeah, so plus size jockey now, but pretty much like if it... Like watching the horses, because as I touched on before, they can't talk back to us. So a lot of what we do is based on observation. So just off their behaviours, how they're how they're going. If we need to change anything within their week, so they um, 
are feeling better, like one might be sick and whatnot and stuff. So a daily routine to me, for example, is um, every morning I'm, up, I'm in the stable by just before four. Check feed, which is um, pretty much our biggest well-being check in with the horses. If they leave more than two kilos, we'll check their temperature, which is a sign to check the horse over to make sure it's all okay. And then the morning begins where our treadmills start working. We start riding the horses and we start exercising them. At the end of the morning, we check them all over again. So it is a monotonous process that has to be done thoroughly and every day. That's crazy. So what time are you waking up? Uh, so every day, 3.35, my alarm goes off. Okay. So, and then you're getting in there just before four. So yeah. you've got about, you're living on the farm as well, aren't you? Yeah, I live on site. Yeah. So in terms of from bed to coffee to stable, how, what, like what are we talking? I can get that done in 18 minutes. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> you just got it down to yeah. a, to a point, yeah, huh? Well done. Yeah. <laughs> We're relatively naive in this space, so we might ask some pretty dumb questions, but hopefully the audience will, uh, <clears throat> will, will learn some stuff as, as we will as well. Talk us through the whole process of when somebody buys a racehorse to actually come into your stable. Where do you guys fit in? Do you Are you part of the purchasing process of a horse? Do you then go and sell it or did somebody come to you and say, hey, we want to... We want you guys to train us. I've literally no idea how this works, and I have owned a horse before, funny enough. But, <laughs> <laughs> but, but how does it work for you guys? So there's two entry points into the into racing. Um, yep. You can go through the yearling market, which is uh, every every year there's sales from about January through to June, July, and that's where it's essentially our draft. So we go through, we look at every young yearling, and we're using their pedigree, the way they are built biomechanically and everything, to assess whether we think they have a good prospect. And then we purchase them at the right price. So you might go to a yearling sale, for example, the Magic Millions are on in January. We'll inspect, there's a thousand horses in that sale. We'll look at all of them. We'll make a short list of about 150 of the ones that we like and get them at price pointed. And if it's a good sale, we'll come home with 15. So that sort of gives you a scratch sure. of what, how it ends up. So we will like scope and pick the ones that we like and then put them on our website for available for people to buy um, shares in. So that's one entry point into racing. Another way is through used and tried horses. Okay. So, like, we get a lot of Mr. Brightside, our best horse. Second <laughs> that's two. In, yeah, in 10 minutes. <laughs> two he within was, six. So, <laughs> let's see how many we can get. We'll get the ding dings going and uh, we'll be right. <laughs> he, uh, so, he, he was bought um, as a tried horse in New Zealand. So, and then he came over to us. We syndicated him down because we saw him in his races there have potential. So, there's, there's plenty, like, and then there's Breeze Up Sales, which are um, two-year-olds that have been up to running but haven't had races yet. So there's lots of opportunities to get involved in racing, and that's probably what makes it so great, is that um, champions come from anywhere, and they're very hard to pick. So it's not until you have them in race conditions that you know for sure whether they're a good horse or not. Where does your old man sit amongst all this now? Because your father, David, obviously is one of the most well-known horse trainers across Australia, probably of the world even. Is he still the big boss and, and you guys are underneath and, and where does he, you know, fit in the relationship, father, work, you you boys? Is it just brothers? You don't have sisters? or Yeah, we've got one sister, one sister, Sophie. She does a great job so in is that, the HR side. Okay. So is that four of you or five of you? Four. Four. Okay. Yeah. So how's the how's the dynamic with the family in the business? Yeah. So mum and dad are the bosses, for yep. sure. <laughs> yeah. So they, um, so it worked out to be a perfect succession and regression plan for my parents to go to Hong Kong. So dad's currently training in Hong Kong where he was previously. And that is a separate sort of side to the business now. So, but they, they still are the bosses of our company here that we run. And um, so if any decisions need to be made, we will make them with the approval of the parents sort of thing. So he's still very much the boss with my mum, but the move to Hong Kong was perfect because it allowed us to take the reins without David Hayes sort of being in the background. So it was good because the success we've managed to have as a stable has been accredited to the processes that we have and the way that we go about things mm. as dad is in Hong Kong. And whereas if he was still in the background, there definitely wouldn't have been like a, oh, it's actually David sort of training them sort of thing. Mm. So, and as you said, he is very good at what he does. So, and no doubt he does give us great advice, but it sort of worked very well for him going there. And he also went from running a stable of 150 horses in Australia to running a stable of 60 horses at race twice a week in Hong Kong. Mm. So that's sort of like a very messy way of sort of explaining it. But yeah, they're the bosses. Well, ha- have they ever, has the old man ever pulled the boys aside and given you a bit of a good old fashioned <laughs> spray? Uh, you know what? No, touch wood. No, we haven't got one yet. So, so far in the three years we've been going, it's been, it's been good. Like we've definitely had a few robust discussions and 
Well, that's what you get when you're family. Yeah, like, with it, of course. Be, being brothers, you're, you're straight to the point. Like there's no professionalism in terms of tell, telling someone where to go and how to get there. Yeah. yeah. So like we, we'll sit down, but that's sort of the diversity of opinions is sort of our strength. So yeah. it's so long as it's handled in the right manner, it can only be a positive. Well, so, we both, both of us, Doss and D, we both come from working with family. Like we've done that before. And I remember when I first started as an 18 year old, people thought, oh, gee, it's cruisy. Like it must be easy. I'm like, no, it's not because you, your expectations like here, like it's, it's tough working with family. Do you yeah. guys find it difficult at times? Yeah, it's, it's so tough, but like, it's also a great advantage because everyone's so passionate and you've literally got skin in the company. Yeah. So everyone's heart's always in the right place. And it's, I find it's always important to recognize that before you start button heads. And so it's probably something that I learned through my time in football is like the power of direct communication. Like you can be direct, but respectful. So mm. it's just sort of working through from that mannerism and not actually getting offended if someone is questioning you because it just, at the end of the day, if you can justify your position, it's making you better. So it's, uh, it, it, it is difficult, but it is also very good. Was getting in the, the racing game and being part of the family business always part of the, the plan from being a youngster and obviously getting drafted and playing AFL footy? Did you always want to be in the family business? Yeah, yeah. Well, funny, growing up as a little kid, I wanted to be a jockey. There you go. Yeah. So um, then unfortunately in year 12, I put on 10 kilos <laughs> for hitting puberty. So yeah. that was um, that was a disaster for the jockey career. But ho- horse racing is something my parents have always said. It's, a, it's not a job, it's a lifestyle. So if you're going to do it, you have to, you have to really love it. Otherwise, it'll drain you. As I said, there's no really days off. It's a it's a continuing monotonous injury industry, and if you don't love it, it will burn you out. So, like as a kid, quickly working with horses was something that I knew I loved, and it was something that was there for me when I was when I was playing footy. So racing was my distraction from football, and that was my job. And now it's probably the other way around, where yeah. football provides a distraction for me when I'm too busy in racing. So. Mm. It's a, it is something that you have to love to do and it's lucky that I love it. Yeah, can you maybe just touch a bit further on the fact that you were still involved when playing footy? Like that to me is unbelievable. That just blew my mind because all the athletes we speak to, it's just full-time on that sport versus your unorthodox yeah. way of going about it. So I was, a, I was a mature age recruit. So I didn't enter the AFL system until I was 23. So I'd, I'd, been, out of, I'd been working in the stables for five years prior to getting picked up. And it was really ingrained in what sort of anchored me into yeah. sort of a daily routine, but also a, a good distraction from the pressures. Like you just, when you're with the horses, I'm very relaxed sort of thing. So for me, when I did get drafted, it was important to me to, to not lose my connection to racing. So I was very lucky that it wouldn't have worked if I went to any other club other than Carlton and the Bulldogs, because Flemington is two minutes from both of them. Yeah, very true. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So I used to wake up and go to track work, check the horses in the morning, have my breakfast and my coffee, watching the fast work. And at about 7, 7.15, I'd jump in the car and head over to Whitten Oval, jump in the hot tub and same to Carlton when I was there. So <laughs> I'd be first at the club. Yeah. Everyone would be like, geez, this kid's keen. Yeah. So, but really, I was just bored because I'd been up for three hours. So... <laughs> Uh, may as well get into the get into it but that that for me was um really really important for me to continue because also um I knew what my life after footy was going to be and I wanted to continue to work on my craft as a horseman so I could hit the ground running when the transition was to come what comes into consideration when the process of picking you know I don't don't know how it goes about picking which horse goes is going to is it like an application to get into this race or is it like you have to you have to win certain races to to be eligible to get into that race? Is that the way it works? And then how does the process go of actually picking a jockey to ride that horse for that race? Yeah, so for the jockeys, uh, we have regular riders for okay. the stable. And then depending on where the races are, you can pick from the availability of jockeys that are going to be riding there. So if you're racing at Flemington or Caulfield, you have the availability of all the good jockeys. So we'll, we, we typically use McDeed. Duck Stack, Dan Stackhouse and stuff around the Metro meetings and they ride a lot for us and they're very good, Mark Zara. And then in the country, yeah, you can have anywhere, like pretty much anyone who's going there. So there's, if you look on the tab app every day, there's so many race meetings everywhere. So jockeys can't be everywhere. So you just pick. So the jockey nominates the first where they're going? Yeah. Is that how it works? Okay. Well, the jockey, jockeys have managers and yep. they will look at the book of rides available and chase the best rides. Okay. So, if they have a chance for three winners at one place and only one winner at the other, they'll go to the place that they have three winners. So they three winning chances. Gotcha. So, and in terms of the horse racing, 
It's pretty much through a benchmark system. So they start as maidens, which are all horses that have never won a race. They all compete against each other. And as you progress through your wins, you get ranking points. So it goes from benchmark 58, 64, 70, 78, and so on. And then you get your group racing, which is like the top of the top. So that's pretty much how it works. So if you think of it like footy, you start in Div 4 resis. Yeah. And then as you get bog, you go up a level until you get mm. to the AFL. So it's the best way of explaining it. How does the money side work, especially with, with jockeys, for example? How do you guys pay them? Is there incentive to obviously win? How do you, is it an agreement before each specific race? Is it just a, here's how we kind of do it here? Like, how does it work? I'm, I've no yeah, idea. Yeah, so there's an industry standard. So jockeys, they are paid to ride the horse. So they get 280 bucks just for, uh, 240 bucks, I think. I need to probably check that. Just for riding the horse. Okay. So, which is, um, they're, they're doing their job, they're paid for it, and then they get a share of the prize money. So, so can you up that? Can you entice them and say we'll pay you more? Or is that against it? Uh, no, you're not allowed to. Okay. So for for equality across the industry, mm. like otherwise, yeah, it's, a, they, it's all a set standard payment. So and then how many race days? So there could be is that up to like 10, 10 races a day? Could, yeah. So so a jockey could race in every race if they if they wanted to. If they were booked for it. So for sure. so they could get booked for every race, two forty every race. So at least make good money. At least they're making well, they're making great money without even necessarily winning. Yes, and okay. if you think about a jockey, like they they're incredible for industry. That they they're also a great risk. Like when if something goes wrong in a horse race, then then they could be in hospital or something like that. So they. <laughs> They don't have any overheads as a business, so they, they only have to supply their gear, fuel to the car and stuff like that, and then that's where they can make a lot of money from race day rides, whereas as trainers, we obviously charge a daily rate to get our horses trained, and that largely covers the labour that takes to cost a horse, the food and fodder it takes to feed a horse, and then the stable maintenance that we have to maintain the areas that they're in. So. In terms of the trainers have a lot of business costs and upkeep costs, transport costs, everything like that, whereas the jockeys are the professionals that come in and ride them. So when a jockey pulls out of a certain horse for a certain race and then chooses another horse, how does somebody entice them? Is it better chance of winning? Better chance of winning. More percentage of earnings? Can you do that or is that...? Uh, not, not really. Yeah. So the prize money is all preset. So okay. the reason they'll jump between horses is because they think they can... They go past win. the force. Uh, they go past the post first on that horse, other than the other one. Okay. Or, or it could be um, stable loyalty. Yep. So they could be riding for a big owner or a big trainer, and they'll ride their the trainer's horse because they know they'll get more rides from that stable and have more wins in the long run. Okay. Sort of thing. So that, that there's a number of sort of reasons as to why people chop and change. But a great example that was recent was you saw Mark Zara. Yep. He got off Gold Trip to ride without a fight. And that ended up being an incredible yeah. decision yeah. because he won. Yeah. So he won. He did the Corfield Cup, Melbourne Cup double, yeah. which was just incredible decision-making by him. But he backed himself in and he made the right decision. What, what goes into that, though, that decision? Because that, for one, you've just won a Melbourne Cup the year before. And then to, to jump ship, I'm assuming, with a totally different owner and and and. Was it a different trainer, completely different trainer as yep, well? Yep. Like Every, everything was different. Where, where does his instinct come in? Like surely you could provide maybe a couple of little things that us as just general outside punters would, would never notice. Yeah, so that was literally Mark just sitting back looking at the facts and just saying I think without a fight is going to win the cup. So he wow. just jumped on it. Like he's, he's a brilliant tactician. Like even if you listen to his um, post-race after the Melbourne Cup, Nothing happened by chance. He knew exactly where he was, where he wanted to be, and knew how that race was going to unfold. So he's, he's at the top of his game and he's riding incredibly. But he would have looked at the, the form, like Gold Trip having run in the Corfield Cup Cox Plate and then into a Melbourne Cup makes it very hard to back up as an athlete. Yeah. If you think about it, um, if teams are on the road trying to play five-day breaks back to back to back, yeah. they're vulnerable in that, third, in that third game. Whereas without a trip, had the beautiful... They, it won, so it won the Caulfield Cup. Like, it's just coming off a grand final win. It's got mm. a beautiful 10-day break into its next game. Like Set. It's just ready to hit, to be at peak performance. So he sat back and just obviously went, I think, without a fight's going to win, and he was correct. Wish I knew that. Yeah, wish I knew <laughs> that too. How do you guys go about choosing first right of refusal for jockeys? Like, how do you – who in within your team makes those decisions that, hey, we've got in – in more of a big race sense, who are you actually going to go for? Go so we, we sit down with our racing manager, Don Roden, who okay. um, like he helps us pick our races for our horses and um, is incredible at the job that he does. And we will sit down and talk about what jockeys we think suit what horses sort of thing. So 
I love the way Mark Zara's gone about it. So if if you could have a million of him, that would be amazing. But at the end of the day, Victoria's got an incredible depth of riders yeah. in the ranks. So if you could have any of 30 riders on any of your horses, then they'll stand a very good chance of winning because the um, riders are so talented. So it is good to be racing in Victoria because we have very talented jockeys. When it comes to owners picking who is going to train their horse, I'd love to know, because there's so many great trainers out there. Yep. And I'm sure you're, you're all well in tune of how each of you all work and, you know, which, which clients you all have within your own business and stable. But is it, I'm trying to picture, you keep using footy analogies. I'm trying to picture a footy analogy. And are you trying to get a certain horse within your group? Like imagine a draft or a trade period. And are you doing whatever you can to speak to these owners? Or are the owners actually coming to the specific group and saying, hey, Will and the, and the team, we want you guys to train our horse. This is our goal. We want you guys. How, how does that work? Yeah, to be honest, there's, there's both okay. that go on. So we, you have owners approaching us to train horses, which we always take on because the beauty of racing is you'd never know when the next champion is going to come through. And then through our recruitment process, we identify horses that we want and we go through ways of trying to get them through talking to owners. Some owners might come to us and say, I want a horse. And we'll be like, okay, we like this one and try to facilitate. So you help them even buy one? Yeah, okay. oh, definitely. Yeah. So pre-orders is a big thing Yeah. because a lot of people want to get involved in horses and don't know where to start. So we'll try to point them in the right direction. But I wish we had you <laughs> about 10 years ago because yeah. we got involved in one and it did not end well. Oh, just uh, we kept finding a couple faster. <laughs> it was, uh, it, yeah, I, I swear it ran backwards a couple <laughs> of times. The old reverse gear. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it, was, it was a good experience. Uh, went, down, went out down to, was it Sandhurst? Is that the sand track? down? Sand down, not not <laughs> the right, not the car not racing track. That's sand a, down, that's a city track. S- sail, sail, sail cup. One sail cup at yeah. Ran. It was embarrassing. I was trying to impress my family one day, and uh, everyone was over. I've just met my stepsisters for the. Well, must have won a couple of races. No, oh. <laughs> no. So it was, it was running in the maidens on the day, was it? It was. So my dad, his business, the, uh, it was called his his company is called a positive move. Yeah, he had like we did quite a few different racing functions in in our industry and. I think we had Tony Noonan, who he was really close with. Yep. And um, they did a bit of work together. And Tony came to dad with the idea of, how about you get a few of your clients and maybe we can all chip in and let's, let's, let's find a horse over in overseas and we're going to, we're going to, we oh, want, it was an import. Yeah. We want France, them. wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Oh, we, that, yeah. that can French be tricky. Horse. Yeah. yeah. That, they're, they're like, we want a Melbourne cup. We want to, we want to make the cup. We, like that was the goal. Was I'm sure, I'm sure that's what everybody too. says. Yeah. 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 And I was like, we were kids. And, um, it's an expensive horse, really expensive yeah, horse. Yeah, and so obviously there was lots of syndicates going on and different ways of <laughs> investing. And, and Dad kind of said to me, D and Ajay, our other mate, who gets a mention every week, um, <laughs> boys, do you want to like just for a bit of fun, you know, put in, you know, whatever it is together. And how much how much percentage do you reckon we earned? Oh, point something <laughs> of a syndicate. Like it was nothing. But our yeah, our whole something. Yeah, it was, it was something. Well, our hope was if it did happen to get in on Cup Day, well, at least we get a free pass in. Like that's we get a free ticket in, and Definitely, we might yeah. get you know a couple of sausage rolls. <laughs> oh, well, that happened. And, and like point something percent of a couple millions, not bad. Oh, yeah, but it was the dream. Well, I actually yeah, would love dream. you to tell. I know this podcast is about Will, but Matt, like the story is pretty good, and it's been a while since you've told the <laughs> the famous story about sitting in the in the stand and. We're cheering it on, and, oh, well, and uh, what happened? I'll, I'll I'll do the real brief version for you, Will, because the listeners are probably sick of this story. But we we obviously born to this horse. We had a percentage of a percentage of a percentage, and the first day it raced was down in Sandown, and we got the day off work or whatever. We all went down. It raced it overseas a few raced times. Raced overseas, first yeah, race in Australia. Import, this was his big day. Yeah, there was it was, it was actually listed. My dad actually flew over to Ascot because it was. It was listed as an emergency for one of the races on at Royal Ascot. Yeah, the proper horses, yeah, yeah. And I'm, it didn't make the cut, so my dad flew over for nothing, but he was like, I want to be there if yeah. it does. And then it came to Australia. So, But we're talking guys are... Like guys put in proper money for this. Now I'm saying we probably collectively probably put fifteen hundred bucks as a trio, so we'll probably put five hundred. Yeah, that, hard uh, nothing. It's still significant. <laughs> as a twenty year old, yeah. yeah, you're too polite, Will. But what happened was right. So we go there, and there's guys that are putting fifty k, twenty k, like big money into this horse, and we somehow wedged our way into the owner's yard, and then he had so many 
Passes. Passes. So there's this guy that's sitting on the outside that's putting like 50K and he's <laughs> heaving at us because we're, we're sitting up with the trainer like right next to him while he's on the outside with the punters at Sandown on a Wednesday afternoon or whatever it was. Yeah, that all, all 15 of them. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, I don't know how, but I got prime seating where I happened to sit next to Tony, right, the trainer. So... Somehow I've wedged myself in paying $500. Doss it on one side, I'm on the other. You've got the train in the middle. And he's telling us, boys. Good salt sandwich. <laughs> That's it. And he's going, boys, this is how we're going to run, right? So we have the pre-race meeting and he's going, all right, we're going to come around the bend. We're going to go up the straight. We're going to sit about fourth and we're just going to fly home. And as a horse is coming around the bend, it's sitting fourth. We go, oh, how good is this? Our eyes are lit up. And, he, and we, all, we all hit the tab beforehand and just kept. Oh, I can do a bit more and just kept upping, upping, upping. It's coming round and he's getting, Tony's getting excited. He's like almost riding the horse and he's, and he's binoculars. Like, he's know. patting me and he's going, mate, here we go, here we <laughs> go. And I'm like, I'm like looking around like, here we go. Like, <laughs> the fact that the, the trainer is tapping you on the leg. <laughs> tapping me on the leg. That, that put in $500. <laughs> and there's a bloke, there's a bloke that's let you on the outside and he's not happy with us. And, Anyway, it's coming around the bend and everyone's getting excited and then this thing just started going backwards. Everything just glided yeah. past and it ran, it ran literally dead last and then a week later it ran in the Sale Cup and I literally stuck my tongue out and said to the family or my stepsister, like my mum recently got a new partner and the stepsisters were around and they mentioned the horse so we all got around to watch the race and they're all loading up on it and I'm like, <laughs> I don't know much about this horse and the thing just ran dead last. I think it had last. a heart condition, that's what, what, that's what, what was, was said. What was its name? It was called Infantry in England. Not Infantry. That's a famous horse, isn't it? No, no, no. Is it? No, yeah, it was light, Infantry. Light infantry. Was that? I think. Yeah, it was Infantry. Just Infantry. Just Infantry, right? And then we changed the name to when it came here. The business was called A Positive Move, so we said Our Positive Move. Right. And it didn't. It didn't. I think it ran maybe another that sale race, and that was it. But. Um, so we just helped ourselves to the sausage rolls. Yeah, um, Dude, don't they pile in too? Yeah, <laughs> like hell. it's like it's like seagulls. I actually remember your dad being there too, at that day. Oh really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think might, there's probably a, a photo right. standing behind us, and he was probably laughing at us. <laughs> well, <Yeah. laughs> well, I was going to ask on, on on owners, how does that how does that typically work when things don't go well for you guys? Do you, have you been like, how do you calm people down when they put in big money or they want? You know, quick results, and you guys, you guys might have one plan over a longer period of time, maybe years, and they want a quick fix. Yeah, so re- results is a big part of our industry. So, as you said, everyone wants to buy a horse and they want it to win. So, our job is to be completely transparent in our processes. Essentially, it's to educate our owners and have them completely understand what journey their horse is on, sort of thing. So, like, if it don't. In, in a simple metaphor, we, we're not going to promise the world and deliver an atlas. Like if you've got your horse in training and we think it needs to improve, it's exactly what we're going to say. Like, look, like your horse needs to improve if it's going to be competitive at provincial grade or city grade or if it's at its benchmark in racing, it's going to have to be get the right conditions to suit and everything like that. So we're doing our job very well if our owners can still be content when their horse runs sixth because it's it's more racing is more than just having the winners. It's about having a horse and training yeah, sort mm-hmm. of thing. Cause that's what you can guarantee. You can't guarantee winners. So if we like through our visual communications of the weekly updates of what their horse is up to, how it's doing photos of it in the day paddocks, knowing it's getting every opportunity to reach its potential and just finding out what that potential is, whether it is winning your maiden or going all the way through to a Cox plate. Like it's every horse is on a very different journey. So you can't promise success, but you can promise the correct processes that will give it its every chance to reach its potential. Here's one. Can, are you allowed to bet, Will, being a trainer? Are you allowed? Yeah. Okay. Sometimes I wish I wasn't. Yeah. <laughs> wow. Like, way too much optimism and way too much passion. Because being a footballer, you're not allowed. Yeah. Yeah. You're not allowed. So the only people in our industry that aren't allowed to bet are the jockeys. Okay. And stewards. So, but trainers, owners, everyone can have a punt. And um, you do like to put your money where your mouth is sometimes and- the best time to bet is when you think you have a really nice horse, like an AFL footballer, and they're coming up through the grades. So back them to get best on ground in the local game mm. and then go from there. So they're the best times to bet. But I've, I've got a terrible tendency to get so optimistic and positive when you see your horse walking around the mountain. Of course. You're like, oh, track record's been unreal. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. This is, like, looks brilliant. Like, yeah. relaxed. How good is this? Yeah. Forget that it's jumping from barrier 16. <laughs> like, first up. Like, <laughs> Doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> Side problem. <laughs> so, but yeah, and then they'll run a really good fourth and like you, the horses run enormous, you're really happy, but you've done your money. Yeah, so yeah. That's where it can be a bit ruthless. You can you can actually have the best horse in the race and still lose due to circumstance. 
So that's just all part of it. And that's a big saying of that's racing. I hate even talking about this, but we had Glenn Boss come on the show about this time last year, actually. It was a really good episode. And, and he spoke really well because we had, we had some questions written in about animal cruelty and, and horse cruelty. I know you, you probably cop this all the time. I know especially spring carnival is a time when everybody comes out of, you know, the woodwork and start protesting. But I love hearing from people that are on the inside, especially with someone like you that's been around horses your whole life. I mean, to the point where you're playing professional footy and you're still involved. For those people that doubt the industry and how horses are treated, can you just talk about what you guys see and what you guys do? Yeah, so I, I think like like anything, racing is a community and 99% of us do the right thing and everything we do is for the well-being of the horse, not mm. so much the success on the racetrack. So I don't do what I do every day because I don't want to see the best out of the animals. So the, the reason I am so passionate is because I love the animal and I want to see it succeed and I want it to be well, uh, to be well and healthy. But you do get people that let you down, but that's like in our community of life. Like yeah. you get people that will rob a bank and or like shoplift and stuff like that and they let you down. So probably animal cruelty is probably something that you can't say doesn't exist, but it isn't it's something that isn't accepted. Like and it is a very small point one of a percent that may do it. Mm. And if if I had it my way, I'd love to lock them up too. Like yeah. you know, like it's a it's just something that you just never want to see. So they're, they're a beautiful animal that needs to be treated with respect and they're incredible athletes and they are fine-tuned athletes. So you need to know how to look after them. So every person I've encountered in the, in the industry wants the best for the animals under their care. What about when, because I'm just thinking back to comments. Yeah, that's how I see You know, that, like reading comments of these videos, that video over the, over the year, when people say, but they're, but they're not born to race, like they're born to just... Be like they don't know what they're so doing. So much about yeah. it's 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 almost it's it's about freedom to yeah. these people. Yeah. So are they born to race? Well, like it's simple. One of the favorite favorite things I do at the end of the week is we put the two year olds back out in the paddock for a weekend, and as soon as you let them go, they are hooning around the paddock. <laughs> so yeah. like, it's like when you take a dog to the park. They 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 just love to be free and roam and all that sort of stuff. And what we do is we we harness that energy and we we exercise them every day. So mm. they're, I'd say they're, they're bred to exercise and that's yeah. what we do. And we do it in a safe and controlled manner. Yeah. So it's, um, it is good like that. But one thing I would ask, like when those videos come out, it's it, like everything, there's two sides to a coin. So mm. before people make their minds up is to educate themselves. So like if you do question what goes on in the industry, come to Lindsay Park and I'll give you a tour myself and then you can make your mind up as to see the other side of the coin. Yeah, yep. I love that. Another thing Bossy said to us on that podcast, and I know we're referring back to it a little bit, but he talked about, and you keep using the word athletes when it comes to horses, which is really interesting. And he talked about horses when they're in this zone, when they rock up on race day, and they're prancing around and they're ready to go. And then they, and they run the perfect race and they win. And almost the emotion the horse has knowing that it's, it's there to do a job and it wins. And it's, it's almost like he was talking almost like the, the joy it actually brings the horse. Now, I know it's difficult to talk about this because how do we know this? But what do you guys have to say or think about emotions in horses, especially on race day? Yeah, so pretty much race day is a culmination of everything you do training to get them there. So even at track work on the day, like when you ride a horse, um, they just they want to race and they, yeah. they, they spend the whole time trying to get in front of the other one. So... And it's, it's quite fun to run, ride, but we actually spend our whole time trying to teach them to control themselves and to relax and everything like that. Because my opinion that I always say, like the, the art to winning a race on race day is to have the horse relaxed until the 400, until the 600, and yep. then they can use all their energy to sprint sort of thing. And what Bossy's, uh, what Bossy is talk, talking <laughs> You're about. You're getting confused with yeah. your Carlton days, mate. <laughs> 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 and um so like and what what bossy's talking about when they are professional athletes and when you get a when you get a horse that's on the top of its game and like no external factors will rock it like stuff can happen it stays relaxed it knows what it's doing it wants to be there and it just annihilates its opponents yeah. because it's just so much better than them there's probably no better feeling Mm. So I could imagine for a jockey, because you get the same at track work when you do just work past a work partner and just yeah. like, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, yeah. So it's, um, the, the best horses can really control their emotions and leave it all on the track. What's been probably, because um, I'm sure you see a lot of sad stuff too, like, and, and you've probably, I don't know if you personally have, but you, 
when things do go wrong? What What is something, whether it's a jockey that's come off or a horse has unfortunately had a, an injury that's that's left them, you know, completely lifeless, you know, to a point. What's been some of the saddest moments that you've seen in the industry? Yeah, so I've been lucky that never had a incident where jockey or horse have been left lifeless and touch wood that never, that never happens. But injury is a big part of sport. Like um, no matter what industry it is, um, what sport it is, you're always going to get injury. So it's never it's never good when a horse injures itself, whether it do a um, tendon injury or a suspensory or it's got a foot or something like that. But at the end of the day, so long as you know that the horse can be rehabbed and is in the best possible care, you have to be okay with that. And same with the same with a human. Like stuff does go wrong in races, and um, horses do fall and jockeys do fall and at the end of the day, we, we do everything we can to prepare the horse for that race to be safe and compete. And sometimes there are um, some uncontrollables that you have to deal with in sport. But so long as they're in the best possible care after the fact, that's, that's all that sort of puts my mind at ease and you, and you keep going forward. What's the greatest day you've experienced in racing? The greatest 30 seconds of my life was when I thought Brightside won the Cox Plate. <laughs> so. We're allowed to talk about, talk about Brightside. Oh, don't, yeah. don't, no, don't, no, that, no, that was – because I've only been a head trainer for yeah. um, a couple of months yeah. now, essentially. Yep. So, like, in terms of my best moments in racing so far, I've all actually come in the last three yeah. months. It's crazy. So, I actually turned to my missus and, like, when, when – <laughs> Like Brightside past the coast, but that was the best thirty seconds of my life. Right. Yeah. I was like, sorry, sorry, babe, but like, <laughs> like unreal. <laughs> like, yeah. And then Romantic Warriors um, head popped up. I was like, oh god. But in terms of, I felt the same that day. I was on Brightside too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So and the angle was really deceiving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So, but I'd, I'd say like my greatest moment would be Brightside winning the Mendy because that that was my first Group One as a head trainer with my brothers, but. Even something as I had a um, very difficult horse that I was working with every day called Hard Prince and um, he was running in a maiden the other day and he um, got everything right and come forth and like mm. I couldn't have been more proud of the horse sort of thing and like those moments even though they're so they're so different like you got group one glory and then you got a difficult horse that you've been working with every day and the relationship you build that horse so a little bit of background about Hard Prince is he came from two di- two trainers because they couldn't get him going. Like his horses are 550 kilos of muscle. If they don't want to do something, they're not doing yeah. it. So um, I like just tinkered with a few things to try to change his relationship towards track work and all that sort of stuff. And me and him really started to click and get along and we started like actually getting the work done. Yeah, and to cool. see him be able to go to the races, compete, and then like he didn't win, but he come forth and put up a run. I was really proud of that horse. So those sort of little moments are why I love doing what I do. So it doesn't matter the grade of racing, but it's just seeing the horses compete and getting the best out of themselves. Mm. As, have you ever seen, and I'm sure you haven't, but there's, there's always stories about race fixing, things like that. When it comes to money, betting, you know, is, has there ever been a situation you've been involved in or seen anything? Because it, it is something that's spoken about, but it's never really, the truth's never there. Like, have you ever dealt or heard anything throughout your time? Well, in our racing jurisdictions, especially in Victoria, New South Wales and Australia, it's very rare. But yep. you do hear about the stories of like in Malaysia and, yeah. and that sort of stuff, lesser racing communities and stuff. And the race fixing is rife. Like, I remember we got an old family friend that used to ride back in Malaysia in the 80s. And he said that you'd be riding a horse and you'd think you'd be a genuine, like your two to one favourite. And he's like licking his lips, thinking about the win. And just as, as he's about to jump, one of the Barry tens would jump in front of him and go, black coffee, <laughs> which meant he had to throw the race. And really? like, yeah. Oh. And like, cause it was Malaysia, like you had to, cause it was run by the gang lord. So if you didn't oh, do okay. it, you'd be in strife. Like yeah. that, you'd, you'd they'd pull you in a room and yeah, you'd be, and, and, so you had to do it. So he tells what? a funny story, like this thing has jumped so clean and he was going to bunny up and he's. He, he had to like pretend that his foot slipped out of the iron sort of thing and just wrangle the horse back in behind bums and then just swinging behind bums. Wait, so you're saying a bloke runs onto the track? So, you know, the barrier... So, this is in Malaysia. Yeah. So, what they do is the people that load the horses oh, in the gotcha, barriers... Oh, gotcha, gotcha, like, So, one of the barrier tenants was in on it. And yeah, gotcha. Uh, and the gangsters had told him to tell the jockey just for the jump to throw the race sort of thing. Holy shit. So, as he got in... This is in the 80s as well. Yeah. So like they're all rocking Nokia's. So like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The, the communication so wasn't like bet. spot on. Yeah. yeah. So like, but like black coffee. Black and he coffee. was like, oh fuck. <laughs> so, and then yeah, and he and he ended up getting the horse beat, but he got pulled in front of the stewards, and they they knew oh. what was going on, and oh. he got weeks. 
Really? So, but yeah, we're we're very lucky that the the integrity is very high um, in Victoria, and I've personally never come across anything like that. This could be literally the dumbest question you've ever been asked, and I don't know why it's come to my mind, but uh, I think it was Cup Day. I was sitting around the family, we all get together on Cup Day, and I don't know how this debate broke out, but there was a race on, and the horses are uh, going around the mounting yard. We're looking at the names, and obviously there's some strange names in the horses, and then we were kind of talking. Somebody, I think my sister said, what do you think they actually call the horses in the stables? Do they actually, like when they got really long names, do they actually call them by these names? Do they give them nicknames or do they just call them Tom? You know, like, yeah. <laughs> what do you call, what do you, so, do you refer to Bright, Mr. Brightside as Brightside or Mr. Or, or do you have Mr. a Mr. Dip- B? Mr. B. Mr. B, B yeah. Okay. So like horses do get nicknames as they become more familiar ranks and stuff. So they, um, like every horse sort of gets funny nicknames. Like if it's got um, a name that can be assimilated to something or something like that. So for example, we've got a horse called Patrick in the stable okay. and his full brother came into the stable and his stable nickname SpongeBob. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> I love you know, that. But yeah. everything formally is addressed as he's a Roma, Roma Geoconda is um, his name. So in all our okay. stable, like external updates and stuff. That's cool. Yeah. Amongst the staff, we do have nicknames for horses sort of thing. So like, for example, when Hard Prince was having some of his bad days, like I joked around and called him Flaccid Prince. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah, just yeah, funny, yeah. Just funny yeah, yeah, names yeah. like yeah. that mm. sort of thing, just like sort of joking around your name. So they're not like nicknames that everyone swears by. Like if I actually wanted something done, I'd use the horse's proper name. Even like, if it's really long? and Yeah, 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 yeah okay. definitely. Just like for clarity of communication and stuff like that. I gotcha, like yeah, yeah. So, but in terms of nicknames around the stable and stuff, like they, they do fly around all the time. So if you're riding a horse, you're calling it by its nickname? Oh, like yeah, you're just talking to it. Yeah, 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 yeah definitely. Yeah. 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 So what's the, uh, happens, what's, happens all the time. Yeah. <laughs> what's the relationship like with other trainers? So being a trainer to another trainer, your competition, is it, it's a pretty mutual respect. What, what, what's the go? Yeah. Mutual respect is the best way to sum it up. It's pretty much like the, the change rooms before the races. Like imagine sitting, at, sitting across all your opponents, like you have a healthy respect for each other. You normally talk about similar issues that you may come across in the industry. Like I know uh, as trainers, we always talk about trying to find track riders and stuff like that and joke around or how's your horse going? Like there's not a WhatsApp group is there. There's not all a WhatsApp group. <laughs> no, okay. no, no, nothing yeah. like that. Yeah. But it's, it would be just a healthy respect is the best way to sum okay. it up. Yeah. I know we're using this name again, but Mr. Brightside is an example. How do you, when a horse like that comes into the into the fold what sets it apart from other horses what makes it so good how do you know that you've got something special so usually it's that they have a physical presence about them okay and and they they just they it's sort of like if if humans were to walk down the street and you see one bloke walk past or or a girl walk past you that they'll be able to run Sort of yeah, thing. Okay. Like they have a presence about them, and that's usually what good horses have. And then when you see them going through their base work, they just do all the base work with such ease, and everything just seems easier. So not too dissimilar when you see like a, a footballer run around training, like that everything's just easier for them. So, but Mr. Brightside himself was actually unique because he was unbelie- like unbelievably unremarkable in everything that he did. So okay. like he didn't he didn't come past and go, oh, what was that thing? Until yeah. he, until he got to the races, and then. He, he just on game day just seemed to never want to get past. So he's got an unbelievable stat when we went through all his races. He's actually never hit the front and lost a race sort of thing. Other than, well, you could probably say the Cox Plate, but I'm almost certain he thinks he won that. Yeah. So, yeah. But like, and through the line, he was back in front. So the, like some horses just have that competitive inner spirit that once they get in a racing situation, they just champion qualities come out. This might be a bit more of a... A deeper, not a deeper question, but a more personal question. But maybe share a bit about what your dad has been like throughout your whole life as a dad being, you know, in this industry. I know you love being in the industry yourself, but you, your brothers, your sister, I guess growing up, your dad doing the job he does, which you do now, you probably understand, shit, it was a bloody hard job having kids, doing all that. What was he like as a father? Yeah. Or uh, what is he like as a father, sorry? He's a, he's a terrific support and mentor. So he was actually a big driver in me pursuing my football because one of the things he always said was racing's always going to be there for you sort of thing. So in terms of anything, not just racing, not just footy, he's just a, he's a, he's a great mentor and support, someone great to pull ideas off, bounce, bounce them off him and um, provide feedback. He's, um, he's a man in few words, but w- what he says has substance and similar to my mum. Like they're, they're both incredible supports and like just a wealth of knowledge. So we're very lucky that they are so supportive and really push us to pursue what we want to pursue. What do you want your legacy to look like kind of in the next, well, in the next 20, 30 years, the impact you're going to leave on the sport, 
where do you see it going, you know, beyond your dad and his legacy? So I guess from a Lindsay Park perspective, I sort of sat around with my brothers and we were asked the same question. And I think a great mantra for us to have is we want to leave Lindsay Park in a better position than we inherited it, yeah. which is going to be a very tough job because it was an elite training facility and a very good business sort of thing. So we've got, we've set a task to do that. Um, and in terms of an, in, of an industry, like I'd love to promote the other side of the coin that we were talking about because the big, the big dark hindrance on racing is that perception of animal cruelty held by very few, but they get such a loud voice due to the squeaky wheel. Sure. So if we could just, I don't want people to love racing. I just want them to have access to the correct information so they can make their mind up. So that, that would probably be the, what I'd love to leave the industry in that position. And personally, from a brand point of view, I'd love to um, get to the top of the table yeah, and be the top trainers in the country. We want to see that. <laughs> that would be awesome. We'd love to see that. We got a DM recently. I'm glad. I'm glad you're bringing this up. I didn't know what it meant, but it actually it triggered us to go. Shit, we'd love to get you on the show. But do you want to maybe share what it was about? Or we, we got a DM. It was weird. We got a DM. How long ago was that? What? Yeah, a, a couple months while. ago. Yeah, a couple months ago, and basically said, "Gee, Doss had a good day at whatever whatever race. Doss had a good win on Group One on the weekend." We're like, what the fuck's he talking about? And, he's, and the next text basically said, I swear Doss and Ben Hayes is the same person. They reckon they, there's a bit of a lookalike. What do you, what do you think, Will? Yeah, you both see? got very kind eyes. Oh, get, I was looking, yeah. I, you got similar eyes too. I was <laughs> noticing. You guys share very similar okay. yeah, eyes. So. Do you see a lookalike there or not in your brother? Well, I think it's a bit of a compliment to my brother. To be <laughs> so, but yeah, it's a bit of a stretch, but yeah. Well, it's just but a who, weird. Sent the, who sent the message? Uh, Nick Foot, I think. I don't know if you know him. You know, a, no. AFL umpire. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, yep. Oh, and sees the resemblance, yeah. yeah. Well, well I wasn't sure smiling. if he knew them or something. That's no. why Well, I yeah, I don't know if you guys are mates. Well, we or... wouldn't be close, but you'd know of him. Yeah. So, Interesting. But yeah, mm. but both smiling assassins. <laughs> Love a smile. Yeah. Love a smile. I mean, it's... It'd be rude not to talk about your footy career briefly. I mean, <laughs> and that's what it was. Pretty brief. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that would have been pretty pretty special for you. I mean, working you know in the family business is special in itself. But listening to you say that about what your dad said is go after that. There's, racing's always going to be there. To get onto an AFL list as a mature age, twenty three year old, get your chance playing professionally in the AFL for the doggies. So, did you grow up as a doggies fan or? Actually, as an Adelaide supporter. Adelaide. But yeah, because I played VFL for five years at the Bulldogs, I yeah. was quickly transitioned into okay. the Bulldogs supporter. Okay, there you go. So what was, what was your time like there at the Dogs? Did you love it? Yeah, loved it. It was it was unreal. My time in the AFL, although... Oh, sorry, the Blues as well. Sorry, yeah, I know you were at the well. Blues as well. Yeah, so... <laughs> it's a mad Doggies fan. You can't <laughs> see past the red, no, red and blue. No, no, no. <laughs> so one thing that I'm so thankful about football is that, like, although my journey in the AFL could be viewed as a bit um, frustrating, like, due to... Not a heap of AFL opportunity, and then when I got my chance at the Blues, I got I did um, I um, gave Manigola a concussion and got the two week suspension. Like things didn't quite go my way, but the fact that as a mature age I was able to get that opportunity was amazing in the first place. So it's something that um, ever a lot of kids dream of being drafted, and I was able to fluke doing it twice. So it was. Um, it you was didn't, fluke, didn't it. fluke it, mate. Didn't fluke it. Oh, you guys are kind, but yeah, no. it was it was nice. But in terms of what I learnt through that process of culture and process driven behaviors in the goal of excellence and results has really stood myself in good standing to progress as a trainer so it, even though it was a very different industry there's so many similarities between racing and football that that both of them are mutually beneficial so it was a great time in my life and um yeah it was bittersweet to see it end but to transition to racing straight away it was i was ready to do it and um it held me in good stead speaking of mutually beneficial has any of your ex-teammates invested in any horses in the stable or looking to yeah a few of them. yeah okay yeah, yeah. um <laughs> like uh, about 17 of the boys took 20 percent of a horse called sandy prince okay and prince. yeah so he's um he's he's paid for himself he's been a good customer he's um he's a tough bugger but, did you yeah, have to sell it or was that just a they oh, they, they approached me. Oh, okay. So yeah, nice. To, yeah, they said, nice. oh, we want to get a horse. I was like, sweet, let's get this one. So yeah. he's been good. So they've loved it. Um, blokes like Tori Dixon are massive into it. Yeah, he loves it, doesn't he? Oh, yeah. And like him, Hans, Jongi, all those boys, like – when I say like finding a stallion is like getting hit by lightning, like they <laughs> they found a good one today. They? they got it twice. <laughs> oh, like honestly, like between Su Merchant Navy and Super Seth, they both got those horses went to stud. They had such successful careers that were sold to stud. 
and they made a lot of money. Oh, really? Wow. So, yeah, so they were struck by lightning twice, which was credit to them. Like, so how rare is it? Like, so rare. Yeah. Like, genuine for, like, for the races that they have to win, when they have to win it, it's the, like... More, more often than not, people will go through a whole lifetime of owning horses and never get close yeah. to owning a stallion prospect, let mm. alone a stallion. It's pretty crazy. Yeah, that's nice. How many horses would compete each year in just Australia alone? Like in terms of just to put in, I don't know if you know the answer to that, but in terms of just percentage of picking that unbelievable one in, I don't know. Oh, yeah. Well, you would have to say close to, you, I actually wouldn't even know how yeah. to put a number on <laughs> Yeah. Because like, you're, you're not only just assessing Victoria, you've got... Tasmania, South Australia, Queensland, Canberra, course, yeah. Northern Territory, WA, like, and that's just Australia alone. So there would be there would be hundreds of thousands of horses. Competing. I've just got one more one more question that I forgot to ask earlier. But going back to the to training, how <laughs> I know this is way out of topic of it should have been a lot earlier. But how much work do you put into opponents in a race? So when you've got like how much time do you put into other horses you're competing against in terms of reviewing and coming up with plans and sitting behind certain ones and yeah so we have full-time tacticians okay. that will provide us um race maps and suggestions as to where our horse is best placed so wow like for example you'd just be like barrier six today um speed inside you is from barrier three four and five um should get a good um from that barrier you should look to get a good sit behind the speed or there's no pace in this race look to lead or there's too much pace look to take a seat sort of thing so they are very much guides, but also one thing Damien Oliver actually told my brother JD, which um, resonated with me. It's like, at the end of the day, you guys pay us to ride the horse. So it's part of our job to know the race field. So we tell the jockeys how the horse is going and its tendencies. Does it pull? Is it relaxed? Does it need strong riding? Um, do you need to just um, cuddle it to the line sort of thing? And they, they will do the rest sort of thing. So as much as like going out with a game plan, is ideal and you can know what you're up against a lot of it is uncontrollable and you have to be able to let them ride their own race yeah well well you gotta go to bed soon uh oh firstly you gotta drive an an hour and 50 minutes back to your rower which we can't believe you did that 7 30 is my midnight 7 30 is your midnight gee whiz um yeah (laughs) mate thank you we had no idea that you were driving from there we probably should have checked Uh, that's but um, great day for everybody to pull out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but hey, thanks for coming on, and we've absolutely loved it. Learned a lot as well. Yeah. Um, and re- really looking forward to uh, watching your career as a trainer just uh, absolutely explode, especially with Mr. Brightside. How many is that? <laughs> Five, I think. Yeah, okay. Yeah, not enough. Not enough. <laughs> but uh, thanks. Well, we appreciate your time. No, awesome. Thanks for having me, lads. D, wasn't that episode just awesome? Oh, mate, I got so much out of it. I'm sure you did too. And, of course, thank you to everyone who listened. Guys, if you haven't already, go and subscribe to the podcast over on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. For sure. And please leave us a five-star review on Apple. It goes such a long way to helping the show. And, of course, you have your chance to get a shout-out. Don't forget to go and follow us over on Instagram as well. What's the Instagram, D? It's at D underscore. D-O-S-A-N-D-D underscore. See you next week. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see you in the next episode.